1: And we welcome you to the show. Whether you're a new-time wrong thinker or a long-time seasoned wrong thinker, the world has need of such people today. I hope it doesn't sound too exclusive like we created this club where, you know, this is only for the cool kids, the wrong thinkers. They're the ones who get to come in here. But, uh, no, more people need to be willing to think outside the narrative, willing to question what uh, the official version of things may be, and you know what? There, there may be times where, you know, government or media sources might actually be telling you the truth. But I said might because <laughs> it's not a given just because someone in authority says something, whether they be in a uniform or a three-piece suit or a lab coat. That doesn't release you and me from the responsibility of checking things out for ourselves, and, and more importantly, making decisions for ourselves as to what is in our best interest and what isn't I know we make it so much more complicated. It's interesting. Now, normally I, I would be talking with uh, Gary Welch today and uh, for, for unknown reasons, I haven't been able to connect up with him. But uh, one of the things that Gary and I were going to talk about was how there there are different approaches to governance. And he makes a point here, and, and this is something I really wish I could discuss with him, is, is there are a lot of people who want to be led. And I hope that doesn't sound like, did you just say that people want to be slaves? That's not what I said. What I said is, Gary makes a good point. There are people who, who look for leaders. They want to be led. They want someone to make the tough decisions. And if I could be honest, I, you know I like not having to make tough or unpopular decisions myself. But I should never let that cloud my judgment as to who is best qualified to make those decisions. And this is where, unfortunately, a lot of people on all over on different parts of the uh, political spectrum succumb to that siren song of statism. Well, you know, there ought to be something official. There ought to be something uniform in which one size fits all. Everybody should have to do this. And I take a I take a more libertarian stance and say, except for cases where there is evidence or a probable cause that someone has harmed another person, defrauded them, or, other, or their property, yeah, then they should answer for it. But otherwise, anything that's peaceful should be on the table. And I think that starts at the individual level. I know we want to see it all happen so politically, you know, people calm down and uh, government goes back to doing what it's uh, supposed to do, which is protecting our rights and not trying to micromanage every little aspect of our lives. But I don't have a lot of faith right now that the political system is... uh, I don't think it can be saved. I don't think that... uh, I think the corruption that is inherent in there is so entrenched and and, and serves the people who serve that system so well, they don't really have incentive to change. And by the way, that doesn't by default make them evil, scary people. They're not all, you know, goose-stepping people with funny mustaches. Sometimes it's just people whose... Priorities have become shifted and it's become shifted through very perverse incentives that are offered, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's a combination of the two. And so they continue to operate in, in that interest. In fact, I'm going to go here. I was going to wait and say this till, till later on, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here and talk about something that, that I know some people will regard as just conspiratorial. Okay, If I say the words deep state. For some people, it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I'm backing away right now. I don't want, I don't want to hear anything about it. And I get it. I mean, I understand. I've, I have been around enough conspiracy theorists in the many years that I've been on the air. I've, I've interviewed them. Sometimes I've been one, but that's not my goal here. It's not to let's, hey, let's go chase a conspiracy theory. I mean, there's always something sensational. There's something shiny to go chasing after. But I would like to share an article with you that examines this. And this is from more of a, an analysis uh, point of view. I, I picked this up off the Foundation for Econ- Economic Education's website. It's by Peter Jacobson. And the title is, Does a Deep State Actually Exist? A New Economic Study Suggests Yes, Sort of. Okay, so this isn't hardcore, oh my gosh, Alex Jones is going to explain how far down the rabbit hole this conspiracy goes. This is actually... An economist writing about a report done by economists, which shows, and in fact, I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just share the, um, this is kind of the synopsis that, that was uh, printed with this. The deep state need not be a matter of conspiracy. It's just individuals pursuing their self-interest within the perverse incentive structure of bureaucracy. Now, there's a lot of truth in that statement. I mean, there, there's a lot. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. This is what Peter Jacobson has to say. He says, one of the defining features of the Trump presidency was an introduction of the term deep state into the political zeitgeist. And although, although the term has been associated with conspiracy theories, it does highlight reasonable concerns shared by many voters. Fears of a deep state can be thought of as rooted in two basic worries. First, there's concern about whether the U.S. has a class of unelected bureaucrats in Washington who are insulated from democratic accountability. In other words, the voters can't touch them. Second, if this insulated bureaucratic class exists, does it have a political bias? And that question seems to be at the root of Trump's focus on the deep state. Now, a recent paper out of the National Bureau of Economic Research seems to provide evidence that both of these concerns are warranted. In Ideology and Performance in Public Organizations, the authors analyze records of U.S. bureaucracy from 1997 to 2019, and they highlight some interesting conclusions. The first finding is that the makeup of U.S. federal bureaucracies tends to have an anti-conservative bias. Democrats made up around 50% of bureaucrats from 1997 to 2019, whereas Republicans made up only 32% in 1997. That number actually fell to 26%. In in 2019. Crazy stuff, huh? And further, as you look more at the more senior positions, bureaucratic overrepresentation of Democrats increases. Now, the study also finds evidence this clearly isn't the result of some conspiracy. Rather, what it means is more educated Republicans tend to not become bureaucrats, whereas more educated Democrats do. And further, even Republicans who do self, self-select rather into bureaucratic jobs tend to voluntarily exit more frequently. But the article here says the reason for the biased outcomes doesn't alter the fact that bureaucrats do tend to lean left. And that does have important implications for policy. Now, another finding of the study is that U.S. bureaucrats are indeed somewhat unaccountable to democratic outcomes. And from the data analyzed, the authors find no clear increase in exit from bureaucracies in the Clinton to Bush transition, the Bush to Obama transition or the Obama to Trump transition. In other words, bureaucracies don't change composition significantly when the president changes. By the way, can I just point out, there are some of us who've been saying this for many years. It's great to see someone else coming at this from another angle and arriving at the same conclusion. Now, Peter Jacobson says at first, this may not seem bad. If everyone quit or got fired whenever the president changed parties, it's possible some important knowledge could be lost in transition. But he says finding one one. However, one last finding in the research, rather, makes this unresponsive bureaucracy worrisome. So here's why the authors find bureaucrats tend to perform worse when they are politically misaligned. In other words, when the bureaucrat is of a different party than the president, when that happens, projects tend to be more costly this leads to the author's conclusion that uh, political misalignment is detrimental to contract performance and therefore whether intentional or not bureaucracies seem to be unresponsive to the will of the majority so if bureaucrats are unaccountable for ineffectiveness less effective under a president of the opposite party and most bureaucrats are democrats well then it seems conservative concerns are warranted at least to a degree Even despite the fact that overrepresentation of Democrats is due to self-selection and not conspiracy, the result will be a bureaucracy which is ineffective at working with Republican presidents. I mean, that explains that explains a pretty good portion of what happened under the Trump administration. And the problem of bureaucracy is why would it be that we have a bureaucratic class that neither represents the views of the nation as a whole, nor is responsive to the desires of the people? It says if politicians or bureaucrats were purely interested in supporting the will of the people, this would be a reasonable expectation. However, as the public choice tradition of economics points out, there's no reason to expect the goals of individual bureaucrats are going to line up with the goals of the voters. I'll have a link to this in the show notes, and I strongly recommend take a look at this. Peter Jacobson writing for the Foundation for Economic Education. Does a deep state actually exist? According to a new economic study, the answer is yes, sort of. So, you know, maybe the kooks actually got it right. Starting to look that way. When we come back, Gary Welch joins me. We'll be back here in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is the Brian Hyde Show? All right, welcome back to the show. I am happy to welcome aboard Gary Welch. Gary, nice to catch up with you again.
0: And I, I kind of was hearing the ending of your your last segment there, and it sounds like you were right on into the major wrong thinking. Oh yeah, um, topics that we love covering.
1: You will never be thought of as a right thinker in the terms of, you know, what's acceptable by the political class if you say words like deep state. I mean, that's an automatic <laughs> disqualification. Nope, nope, nope. We can't talk to you. You're not one of us. Anyway, you and I have some topics to discuss today, though, and there there is a lot... Going on, I guess this is the good news is you and I are never at a shortage of things to talk about. The bad news is some of these things are pretty weighty. Uh, One of the things that I know you're keeping an eye on, um, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case on abortion. I mean, with all the divides in the country, with all the upheaval. Yeah, this seems like a pretty good time for a Supreme Court decision on abortion to to come around. Not that not that they shouldn't, but you, you get what I'm saying. Talk about adding more fuel to the fire. Oh, boy.
0: Really? And so this is just a situation of political consequences and political maneuvering. So in the world of politics, you start setting things up way in advance to do your agenda. I always talk about how Hillary Clinton, back in the Democrat National Convention, back in 19, I think it was in 1980, maybe 1990, that she first started talking about universal health care. And she said, let's start now making the plans. And sure enough, in 2010, they get what they want. These things happen way ahead of time. These people are very good about let's set up these these infrastructures and everything in play to make it happen. So what you're seeing now is something that would be considered on the right, that the Supreme Court has a six to three majority of justices that tend to happen to happen to have a different viewpoint of abortion. And now they have decided to take on a case that is challenging Roe v. Wade.
1: So let's let's talk about uh, what are the similarities to this case and Roe v. Wade? Uh, I mean, um, my understanding is this restricts abortions after 15 weeks. Um, Help me make the connection. How would this possibly be used then to overturn the Roe v. Wade decision. I assume that's one of the possible outcomes. So the the thing you have to look
0: at is the subsequent decisions that come after Roe v. Wade. So Roe v. Wade was a decision. They, the justices that made that even themselves have said that it was meant to be, this applies to this case. This is just all we're saying is this case. This is what is applying to that. But ju- But justices and the lower courts after that have made lots of decisions regarding Roe v. Wade, and they have said that this is paramount, that this is solid, that there is no deviation. It is what it is. A woman's right to unrestricted abortion is period. That's it. You, could, you have you cannot question it. You cannot try to um, put some conditions on it. They have been really moving down that line that this is the ultimate decision and it is the rule of law in America. And so this Mississippi law that says basically it's only restricted to the first 15 weeks, that was designed to be a challenge. That law was not passed with the intention of, yeah, we're going to do this. This law was passed with we're, this is what we're going to take to the Supreme Court because we believe now we have justices That are going to overturn those those previous rulings and say, you know what? Roe v. Wade can be questioned. Roe v. Wade can be conditioned. Roe v. Wade can have different outcomes.
1: Now, maybe this is just my um, general uh, distrust for for Supreme Court justices, whether they were appointed by conservatives or uh, or by liberal presidencies or, 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 you know, whether whether they were you get my point, whether they were supposedly, you know, put up by the conservatives or put up by the liberals. Um, they've often got it wrong. Even the ones that were appointed by, you know, conservative presidents or, or nominated by conservative presidents sometimes have a tendency to get it wrong. So wh- is is there really a substantive change in the appointments made under Trump enough that, that we could see Roe v. Wade overturned? Because my, my skepticism is like, ah, I've, been, I've, I've had my hopes up before many times and they've just disappointed me. I don't know what I would see differently this time.
0: Yeah, justly justly pessimistic. You, you, we've seen this before where these cases have came up to the Supreme Court and the decisions being made on them are just absolutely different than what would be expected on that. But that they decided to listen to this case does give me hope. That's where my hope comes from. And I do believe that Trump was using his position as a president to make appointments that reflected this, this non deep state attitude that he had and that he was really challenging the Republican party itself. He more than challenging the Democrats, he challenged the Republicans. He absolutely came out and said, look, I do not like the status quo. I do not like the way things are going and we're going to do them differently. And with Supreme court just, justices, this is where he had his say in that. So Guarded optimism is what I have.
1: Is it is it likely just to spark, um, I don't know, deeper division? I'm not I'm not asking whether, you know, has has abortion suddenly become the right thing? Um, I'm still pretty clear on where my moral compass points on this. But what is the likelihood of anything changing substantively as a result of, of the Supreme Court agreeing to hear this Mississippi case?
0: If they uphold the Mississippi case. It will have a dramatic impact, both for good and bad on this, because it will. It will be basically saying we are giving states the authority to modify Roe v. Wade and make conditions of to what they want to do. So on the one side, you're going to see the pro-lifers start pushing agendas within their state legislatures, and especially in these red states where there is a strong pro-life um kind of population within there you're going to see them push hard for this and then like a state like utah you can absolutely guarantee it happens on tuesday on wednesday the legislature is introducing a bill
1: It, it will
0: be like that the other side of that however this is going to have a big impact on them because they are going to push very hard to get this restricted. And here will be the big test where I think this is going to come. We've, you know, we've had these discussions about expanding the Supreme court. They'll see this as such a strong challenge to their agenda that they will absolutely start pushing that, that agenda.
1: Yeah. I have to, I have to wonder, you know, which way it could go. Um, I don't know. I, I guess on the one hand, it's it's exciting to see the possibility of it going back to the states. I, as much as I personally am opposed to abortion, I would be OK with the idea of the states making their decisions, you know, at, at the state level. This is federalism in practice. Some states allow gambling. Some states, you know, have legalized pot. Some states, you know, uh, they, they have their own quirks. Utah may have a few more than others, but, you know, that's that's another discussion. But I think the states should be allowed to set that instead of that one size fits all Roe v. Wade solution, if you will, that was hammered down on us, you know, back in the 70s. I I want the states to make those those choices, or at least the people of the states to have that influence, not uh, a Supreme Court, which presumes to know what's right for everybody uh, making that. I don't know. Does that is that consistent with uh, with uh, the freedom principles
0: it's consistent with reality. And this has always been the issue that I've been talking about people as you say, I want it and I want it now. That ain't going to happen. It is that is not a switch of the button, you know, switch of, you know, pushing the button and, and everything goes into play. You have to do these things gradually and, and responsibly to do so. And so I'm with you. Give it to the states. Just make that just have, make that
1: happen. It won't give you 100 percent, but it gets you started. And, and I'm going to temper, you know, my my positive reaction, you know, of yeah, put it back in the state's courts or in the state's uh, ball court, so to speak. But uh, I honestly believe the less politicized this issue becomes, the more solutions will actually come forward. In other words, when people believe when, when enough people just believe you don't take an innocent life, it's not going to be a, a big political choice. Anyway, we'll we'll take a quick break. Gary Welsh is my guest. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. We have many, many things to cover. Did, did we did we cover the abortion case going before the Supreme Court? Is there anything more that needs to be said there?
0: No, I think we covered it very well. And, and I think we emphasized it at the end that, yes, we recognize the right to life is a big deal and that that is the goal. But, you know, take your wins, however you can take them. and And to your point, If 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 the win is let's let states decide, that's a win. Let's take it.
1: Yep, yep. Well, gal, no easy answers, but that's that's what happens when we get politics involved. Hey, speaking of of getting politics involved, um, talk to me about the Capitol riot commission for the House of Representatives. I don't watch news media these days, and so I have not been seeing what's been going on there. But um, uh, is is there a commission examining what happened at the Capitol on January 6th? And, gee, I can't imagine what kind of things they, they must be discussing. What, what am I missing out on, Gary? So
0: from the very beginning, the Republicans have been very concerned about this commission. The Democrats wanted to start it right away, even Um, while Trump was still in office, they wanted to push this agenda. And the Republicans have been very skeptical about it. They they were always concerned about what would this commission look like? Do you want to find the truth or do you just want to pin this on Trump? And considering right now that Trump is by far the 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 most likely contender in 2024, What would be nicer than to have something come out within the next two years and basically said, yeah, he caused all this. This is this is all him that 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 got these people killed. So so the House of Representatives wants to start this Capitol riot commission. But here's the funny part. The House minority leader, a Republican, is opposing it. And why would that be? simply because he has a lot of skepticism about what's going on. But here's the funny part. So here's the behind the scenes things that most people don't think about. You would read this in the news and you would just go, oh, okay, they're just trying to get this commission going. And of course the house minority leader is opposing it because it's a Democrat initiative. So they oppose opposed to everything. But what happened was the house speaker Pelosi got together with another Republican John Katko, who is a never Trumper. He's opposed to Trump. He's always been opposed to Trump. And he's part of this where they're trying to clean up the House of Representatives and get rid of these these anti-Trump guys like Cheney that they just did last week. Well, he's one of them. And him and Pelosi came in and they put this bill together. So now there is a bill in front of the House of Representatives for starting this commission. And that's a deviation from how things are normally done, usually you work with the House Minority Leader. The, the Speaker of the House and the House Minority Leader are the two people that have been kind of designated as what moves forward and what does not. And what you're seeing here is a runaround. They're going around him and picking this other guy to to push this agenda. So the House, you know, the Minority Leader uh, McCarthy Kevin McCarthy is coming out and saying, "Hey guys." Uh, they're pulling this run around and what they are trying to do here is basically a kangaroo court of just trying to justify their, their agenda.
1: I guess we shouldn't really be surprised though. I mean, right. Look at, look at what all the effort that went into um, contesting Trump when he was in office, all the effort that went into impeaching him twice, including once after he left office. Um, I guess I shouldn't be surprised to to see You know, the degree of chicanery that they're they're willing to engage in. I'm very. Oh, go ahead.
0: It goes to your point about the deep state. So here we are seeing within the House of Representatives. You are seeing this of how do we manipulate these these bureaucrats and these these lifelong status quo, deep state Republicans. Um, You just like, yeah, let's team up. The Democrats go, hey, look, guys, let's team up. And we can uh, get rid of this guy and get him out of your party forever.
1: I mean, I'm not I'm not a real big fan of Trump, but this is this is low, even for the political class. This is this sounds really sleazy. But again, I watch I've seen some of the the, um, quotes from like Nancy Pelosi talking about, you know, the desecration of our sacred temple of democracy, blah, blah, blah. Um, Gary, I just watched footage yesterday. This is the first time I've seen this footage. But it could not be more clear. There are people, including the, the dude with the buffalo hat on, you know, they're in the Capitol, talking with Capitol Police. And calmly reasoning with Capitol Police and being told, if you guys will stay peaceful, you can come in here and protest. And that's what it shows. And they're like, OK, guys, let's not mess this up. Don't be breaking stuff. Don't be violent. Just let's be peaceful. And and these Capitol Police officers clearly let them in and talked with them and negotiated. We'll let you go in and stay if you'll be peaceful. Which is such a far cry from, oh, it was an insurrection. And why, you know, they were threatening the very processes of this country. And I don't know. it this, this has a very Reichstag feel to me in terms of the way that it's being spun to make the political class the victims. And we've got to do really drastic things, which, you know, in their mind, really drastic things is we've got to ferret out anybody who opposes us as domestic terrorists. And I believe they're actually working on and suggesting the uh, legislation that would make that a reality. So that's a big concern. I think they're lying. I hope that's not rude to say so, but <laughs> I, I think they're, they're a bunch of drama queens and they are lying through their teeth when they portray that as, you know, uh, as some kind of an organized effort to overthrow the government. I don't know. Tell me where I'm wrong. I'm probably missing something here. No, you're not.
0: You're spot on with this. And that's just exactly what moves on in politics. It's the behind the scenes things that you do not see that really tells you what is happening. And so what you're seeing is, is this the there is a bunch of Republicans within the House of Representatives That are very much on the Democrat side as far as opposing Trump. They they make strange bedfellows. It really does. You will find that normally they hate each other. But when you have a cause that that they both want to do, they'll join up together and no problem at all. And that's exactly what you're seeing. And the the efforts that they make, where they they'll break their protocols, they break their normal routines of doing things to get this agenda through, just kind of shows you how strongly they want to push this. They want to give it legitimacy. So this commission, that's all that is, is we're going to le- legitimize our accusations against Trump. That's what this is all about.
1: I can't remember if I asked you this. If I did, I please, I, I apologize, but. Have you heard any, you know, uh, anything in the wind about uh, making plans to arrest Trump? In other words, not only declare him responsible for uh, the Capitol Hill insurrection, but to actually charge him and arrest him. You hearing anything, any talk about that?
0: Not from reliable political leaders, only from the social justice warriors and the radicals.
1: Okay, fair enough. I, you know. I've seen an article here or there that says that, uh, hey, this is being discussed in some circles, but I don't know to what extent that would be. I mean, look, if Keith Olbermann is going off on it, that's just Keith Olbermann having a moment, right? Right. You know, he's he's kind of known for that.
0: You will even find that in the House of Representatives. There are some very hardcore, radical leftist, socialist, anti-Trumpers, and and they really hate him. And you and I are on the same boat. I'm not a Trump fan. I'm not a supporter of him. To me, he's just the guy. Right. I like him in some areas. I don't like him in others. But what I see going on, it's not so much about Trump, about just exposing the apparatus of what is happening, because they could do this to anybody, anywhere. And that that is what I'm concerned about. That's what I'm trying to expose using him to basically flesh this out and, get, and put some light on it gives us that great opportunity. So don't look at this as a hey, Gary's a Trump supporter. I'm not. No, but I get it. I'm very much a, a not a supporter of the deep state.
1: Yeah, the, the lengths to which the state will go, the deep state or otherwise, you know, will go to protect itself is is pretty remarkable. And, you know, if if there's anything I can say that would be, you know, in deference to Trump, whatever faults the guy had, he clearly was a frustration at some level to a lot of the people within that apparatus. And again, I'm not saying just the deep state. I'm saying generally the people who like to see things go smoothly in Washington, D.C., like it to go smoothly because they're pretty much in collusion with one another and pretty much agree, you know. We want to tax them at 29%. Well, we only want to tax them at 27%. Grr, grr, we'll sit here and make words back and forth at each other, and then we'll settle on 28%, and, you know, look at this great bipartisan effort, yeah. as the people are lining up to be sheared, but, all right. We, <laughs> we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some of the COVID restrictions coming off. Have you been to the store lately? It's an awesome, yes. it's an awesome experience. I'm seeing people's faces, and uh, the mandates are lifting, but... Massachusetts is kind of on the radar for this. We're going to talk about that when we continue our conversation with Gary Welch right after this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a quick shout-out to our sponsors, including HSLAmmo.com, also MonticelloCollege.org, and our friends at uh, Pure-Light.com. Gary Welch is my guest. Gary, uh, you had mentioned to me that uh, Massachusetts is actually uh, removing its COVID restrictions. Here's why I'm shocked. I had some friends in Massachusetts a couple of weeks ago, and they said that was one of the most ruthless, stringent places they had ever seen in terms of, uh, you know, if, you, if your mask came over the tip of your nose, somebody would yell at you. I mean, just ruthless in how they were enforcing it. And yet, how did they, how is it that Massachusetts is moving up its, its removal of COVID restrictions by two months? I guess it's ending in the middle of next month. This is a big deal.
0: And you have to, again, look behind the scenes. Don't look at it as, oh, they're moving it up by two months. What does that mean type of thing of not paying any attention to it? You got to understand that there is a lot going on with this. And one of the things that is happening in this is that uh, Governor Charlie Baker, he's basically indicating that he wants to run for a third term. So for him to do this, that is a huge indicator that they don't do anything without polling and polling and polling again and and it's got to really show something to them if it's a 50-50 they'll they'll sit on it they won't do anything and for him to do this knowing that he's planning to run it means that the polls told him that if he didn't he wasn't going to win
1: so upholding those covid restrictions is starting to get radioactive. Excellent! <laughs> it's about time. Now, is is it just a matter? Is the public finally starting to to hit that point where, you know, they they've had it? I mean, I have my own thoughts on this, but I want to know: Are you seeing that COVID fatigue brightened? And clear? this is
0: a big indicator. Massachusetts doing this of all the states. You know, uh, when you see things like New York, Massachusetts, California, Oregon, those states. When they start showing COVID fatigue, that means it's really here, that it is hit and it's on. It's in full force right now. Uh, if you see the red states doing it, yeah, of course, we're, we're expecting that. And for this to happen very quickly shows the implications of what Florida and Texas and Utah and other states did by just basically saying, hey, we're, we're knocking everything off. We're stopping it. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so the public saw that and now they are really saying enough is enough. We're done. Uh, I don't know if they're really ready to come back. And that's the other side of things that I'm seeing that it's encouraging me. There are now people starting to question a lot more than just you and me. Now, there are some big players out there that are questioning. Did the government do the right thing? But most importantly, we're starting to see that they are pulling this out. And it is coming down very quickly.
1: Well, I I take that as a very good sign. And at the same time, there's a part of me that wants to say, what took you so long? (laughs) Why didn't you guys recognize this sooner? I mean, it's not like, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist. You don't claim to be a rocket scientist, but it's not like people weren't saying, look at what this is doing.
0: Yeah, and I've I've been saying for the long time it was going to be this summer. Um, So it's actually happening a little bit faster than I expected. But then again, it's not surprising to me. It, it, It could go on so much. There is... Just always that factor that when people are afraid, they do not think, they do not use reason. They act out of fear. They act out of emotion. And then the problem comes in that they have to justify their actions. So now we get stuck into that of of excusing it and, and talking away. But eventually we come around. We Eventually we'll come around and we'll look at this and we're going to go, you know what, May, I
1: think they did pull a lot of bad mistakes in this. So – Will there ever be accountability? Because I'm looking at uh, uh, what's his name? Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. The guy who ordered all of these uh, people into nursing homes and caused, uh, I think I think it's conservative to say tens of thousands of deaths due to covid by by forcing people to go into nursing homes. Um, He wrote a book. He got a five million dollar deal knowing full well that they weren't even going to sell that many copies of it. That doesn't sound like a guy who's worried that he's going to lose a moment of sleep or miss a meal because of of his poor actions. Is is he going to skate on
0: this? Obviously, I've been wondering what he's going to title the book of uh, how I killed 10,000 people in one day. Um, I mean, what's the title of the book going to be?
1: If I get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. But, yeah, he's. And and you can almost imagine that he's going to come out and try to justify that because he is coming under fire now. He is absolutely. And again, another indicator that in New York, a very liberal, very progressive state, a state that really did buy in to the COVID narrative, they're coming after him for this. He is really being questioned and grilled about the decisions he made regarding this. And this is starting that discussion about these guys that made some really bad decisions. So what is this book? This book is going to be about, no, 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 I didn't. Let me, let me show you why I made all of these great decisions. And that book is worth $5 million to them, which gets me to start asking like, dude, what are you doing up there? Then if you're not being a governor, if you're writing two books in a row, both of them basically saying how great you were in handling the COVID crisis.
1: Well, I I can only reflect that there is an there's an ultimate justice, but uh, it it just it's so frustrating to see the the worst of the actors who who put into place policies that that measurably harmed people. You know, they they seem to have the power to skate on this and I'm not saying that I want people throwing garbage at him as he walks down the street, but I just want people to recognize more clearly what happened there was wrong and worst of all it was unnecessary it wasn't necessity it wasn't well we had to do something it was just it was flailing about and and doing the wrong thing and thinking well at least we didn't do nothing when in fact they'd have been better off doing well maybe maybe not nothing but at least not that yeah
0: keep it hidden when it's exposed lie when it, when you're caught in the lie justify it that's the that's the process
1: so let me ask you this. Um, I just want to get your take on on. We're, we're at a very interesting place right now where the mask mandates are coming off. Costco will no, will no longer hassle you if you go in there without a mask. I think Harmon's in our home state of Utah, no longer hassling people about it. Is this just the eye of the hurricane? Or are we on the other side of this uh, lockdown crisis?
0: I would not get too optimistic about this um there are still too many people believing that this was necessary that that this was it was the disease's fault not government's fault um i just though i mean the evidence is becoming so overwhelming i just don't know how they can continue perpetuating it but they want to Um, we talked about this last week where they they want to also just put that fear back into us by saying, Hey, it's coming around again. Get ready. It's coming again. We're, you know, we're going to have to do this again. Um, and, and that's going to be really the test. I think if they try to pull that one,
1: that's what I'm hearing too. And, and, I, and my goal here is never to make people fearful or to, to make them angry. But uh, that concerns me because look, we're, we're going to be reaching, I know it sounds like a long ways off, but about three or four months from now, the leaves are going to start changing and we're going to start seeing cold and flu weather approach again. You're going to see cases go up of things like influenza as well as coronavirus. And I'm, I'm worried, Gary, that uh, that's th- the people who clamped down so hard the first time and cannot admit that they were wrong are going to double down. That's my fear they're going to clamp down even harder with the excuse that we're just we have to do this to keep you safe. And and I, I worry that there aren't going to be enough people with enough backbone to stand up and say, oh, no, you won't. We'll take it from here.
0: So last week we talked about, you know, the, the vaccinations in, in India, which was causing the spike in the cases. And this is the exact same situation as when you are treating bacteria with a low-grade um, um, antimicrobial where you're, you're doing a, like a low-grade penicillin. And because it doesn't kill it, then the, the, the organism reacts to it and adapts. And now you've got a resistant bacteria. This is the exact same thing with COVID. With that vaccination that they put out, these people that were catching the disease, it didn't kill it. In fact, it was probably, you know, making it stronger and harder. And with that, then there's going to be that adaptation to it that's going to be resistant to vaccinations.
1: Well, all I can say is we we still have more interesting times ahead of us. I would encourage people, uh, tune in, and we'll we'll try to make sense of it. Gary, I appreciate you coming on the show, as always, to offer your insights into uh, just a few of the issues going on around us.
0: Always a pleasure, Brian. Always.